Here we go. Welcome to the 1000 Hours Outside podcast. My name is Ginny Rich. I'm the founder of 1000 Hours Outside and one of our favorite guests is back with us today, Alistair Humphreys. Welcome. Thank you. It's always lovely to talk to you. It so is. It's been a while. It is bizarre how time passes and I don't think we've talked since the beginning of the year. You did a book club with the 1000 Hours Outside community, which was so cool that you did that. Everybody loved it. And since then, we haven't chatted, but you feel like you catch up because you're on social media and you see what the other person's doing. But you launched two books this year, which were two books I was really excited about. You were talking about them at the end of last year, and I knew they were coming out and they are in the world. You had two books. One is a book for kids called Against the Odds. I'm going to put in the show notes where you can buy that if you don't live near you and you want to get shipping because it's not quite available in the U.S. right now here, but you can get it from companies where they ship it to. It's a book for kids. I can't wait to read this one. I haven't read it yet. It's similar to your other book, which is called, tell us. That was where I should have helpfully stepped in and helped you with the title, <laughs> but I really loved the sudden look of panic in your face. So I thought I would prolong that. Great Adventurers. I love that book. So Great Adventurers is, is it kind of is like a, almost like a coffee table book, like one you can go to all the time. And it's this book where you talk about all these great adventures and it highlights how much you've read because you have highlighted all these adventures it's for kids, like in families, it's pictures, and car- it's cartoony, and it just takes you down this rabbit hole. I'm talking so much. But I want to say that I read new types of books this year because of that book. I had never read this genre of adventure nonfiction, basically. Yeah. I read Shackleton this year because of that book, and I read a book about a woman who kayaked the Amazon River, and it opened my eyes to a brand new genre of books. So Against the Odds came out this year. It matches with this great adventures, phenomenal books. I haven't even introduced you. You're <laughs> just. Have you been drinking a lot of coffee this morning? I don't know nothing. I think you need to take a deep breath and calm down. You know, can I tell you another story? Sure. <laughs> I was at our local bookstore, like local, like we're in the middle, uh, kind of like in the middle of nowhere. It's like nowhere big, just whatever in our local bookstore. And the bookstore has got. It's run by a former kindergarten teacher. It's the cutest bookstore. She's got a whole section on nature books. And someone came in and was like, I would like to buy Micro Adventures by Alistair Humphreys. And she had it in this little bookstore. That is amazing. Isn't that cool? Because she knew right where it was. It was awesome. I find that exciting. That's like thousands of miles away from my home. My little book sitting in a store somewhere. Yeah. And one that you wrote a while ago. So, okay, let's start here. Let me introduce you. I've been enjoying this podcast so far because I haven't <laughs> had to say a word. I'm just sitting here drinking coffee. I haven't had to do anything. This is easy. <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. I don't know why anybody listens. All right, here we go. I'm struggling this morning. Alistair, National Geographic Adventure of the Year for his concept of micro-adventures, local adventures for everyone. The Royal Geographic Society presented him with the Ness Award in 2023. It's a big year for you. Two books and the Ness Award for his long-standing contributions to promoting a greater understanding of our world and wider public engagement for the outdoors. You've written 16 books for adults and children, which I love that you have this eclectic set of books. I just love them. From the doorstep mile, we've talked about several of them on this podcast to micro-adventures. There's actually several we haven't talked about still. So We'll have a lot more conversations. You create videos. You have a podcast, a couple different ones, newsletters, and you have had expeditions all around the world, more than 80 countries you've been to, bicycle, boat, and on foot. What a life. 
And then I have been so looking forward to this book because you talked about it at the end of last year. You were talking about this concept of a single map. And the book is here. The book has come out. It's called Local, A Search for Nearby Nature and Wildness. It was a beautiful book. So interesting. Like this is just a completely different type of book. You walk through a whole year of staying local. Tell us about the title because originally you were talking about, I think, calling it a single map. Yes. Yeah, so the idea was that I would get the map of the area where I live. Uh, I live in a not particularly exciting or wild place. It's just a little place outside London, pretty boring, normal sort of place. But I got the map for where I lived and it's a small area. The map covers about 12 miles by 12 miles. So 20 kilometers by 20 kilometers. And the whole map's divided up into um, grid squares, like one kilometer grid squares. So my idea was that for a whole year, I would just explore really close to home, one grid square per week. And I would go out to these areas and try and see everything in as much detail as I possibly could to try to be, well, to try and get to know my neighborhood in a way that I'd never done before and to really see what was out there. Because I've spent years, literally years, traveling around the world. I've cycled across continents and rode across oceans and walked across deserts. And yet I had no idea what was happening in that little village five miles down the road from where I live. And there's a little wood on a hill that I see from the car every day, but I've never been to. So that seemed crazy to me. So I, I decided to do that. And so when I first had the idea, it was a sort of blogging project. And uh, I called it a single map because I stole a, a sort of stole a quote from a, a short little running film. It's called Of Fells and Hills by an American runner called Ricky Gates. And Ricky Gates is a sort of global ultra runner guy. And he comes over to little old England and he goes to these little little hills called the Lake District. And he runs around meeting guys who just run around those hills. And they're real sort of eccentric old English guys. And he's this sort of global sophisticated American running guy. But by the end, he's quite jealous of these strange, eccentric British people who know this area so well. And at the end, he says, I'm almost envious. You know, I go all over the world. For these guys, everything is close to home. And and I wonder whether a single mountain range might be enough exploration for an entire lifetime. And I found that really moving. So I um, stole it <laughs> and went for the idea of a single map. So I started trying to explore a single map. But then the name has changed, as you say, to local, because in the end, the book is more about just exploring your local area than it is about maps. So it, there was a sort of slight shift in nuance that I was trying to go for. Yeah. Yeah. I love both concepts. It took me a long time to come up with the with the very short word local, trying to come up with a title. I had hundreds of different ideas. I was using chat GPT and having a chat away with AI and all these things. And in the end, I just thought, ah, oh, local. That was short. That was simple. And I think it's a good title. It's really neat because each of the chapters, so you go through the year, you go through starting in November. This would have been what? November of 2021. Is that when you started? Well, I, I lose track. It's taken me a long, long time anyway. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And I started, I started in November. So it, in England, it was gray, cold, wet, yeah, miserable when I started. Yeah. For four or five months. I mean, that's how it is. I liked, and this is similar to the weather that we have, your season's match up with ours. So I walked right through and related to a lot. Each of the chapter titles within each month is also a single word. Oh, that's coincidence. Okay. That's, I thought it was neat. <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, I'm going to claim it. 
<laughs> you were able to narrow down each of the chapters into one word. It was like pigs or huh. solstice, whatever that it was. I thought that was really interesting. And then the title local, ah. I thought it all fits right in. Oh, thank you. Well, I'm going to, the next podcast I do, I'm going to say, and so I decided to give each chapter a single title word to make me seem clever. So thank you, Ginny. <laughs> I love that. So you start in November and you're on this mission of exploring your backyard and finding out if that can be fulfilling, which is a grand question, especially coming from someone who has done all of these other things. One of the things that you talked about was how small it felt. The map felt so small. And I could imagine you said it was something like less than half of a marathon, this distance across. Yet you've been all the way around the world. You say, I decided to swap dreaming of large adventures for spending an entire year roaming the local map I lived on, an area measuring just 20 kilometers across. If you ran across it, it would be shorter than a half marathon. So this is quite the juxtaposition from someone who has walked and biked and been in the ocean and gone around the entire world. You are limiting yourself to 20 kilometers. Did you assume that it it wasn't going to feel grand? <laughs> yes, I assumed, when I had the idea, I thought... Uh, this might be an interesting idea, but it might also be really boring and really frustrating. And therefore, I will give up this stupid idea and go and do something else. So one of the reasons I wanted to do it is because I've been so lucky to travel to so many parts of the world. And that's a fantastic privilege. But a problem it's then given me is that when I'm at home, I'm often a bit bored and a bit resentful and I think things like oh if only I lived in California then my life would be happy or oh if I only lived in a log cabin in Wyoming then everything would be great but I don't so the reality of life is I live where I live and it's you know it's completely fine and I have a completely fine and normal life but still quite often I find myself grumbling and thinking oh daily life is so routine it's so boring I'm so busy with stuff and I want to have adventures but you can't always be going off to have adventures, but that's real life, right? So mm -hmm. the challenge then was to just shift my perspective and shift my attitude and say, okay, given the constraints of this, what can I find? What wildness and nature and beauty and interest can I find? But certainly when I started, I thought, hmm, this might be quite boring and I might give up quite soon. Well, you even started with that. And I thought it was so funny. <laughs> that's where it starts <laughs> off, where you say it was in November and you say, this might be boring and no one's going to read it right from the beginning. <laughs> but then you found those, I don't even know how to pronounce it, those holes. You say it was, <laughs> okay, so the premise here is you're picking squares. There's a certain amount of squares and you're doing one a week, but somehow you ended up with 53. So I don't quite know how that works, but you're doing one a week. Well, that was a complete, that was a total and utter miscount that I didn't realize until the day the book went to be published that I'd accidentally <laughs> done one too many. <laughs> So you have this map, it's got 400 squares on it, something like that. And you're randomly picking. You got a random number generator, except for a couple. You allowed yourself to pick one or two, I think. And you allowed yourself to veto some. So if it, you'd already been to the square next to it, you could scrap that one. And you're going to these different squares and you start off with your first square that you say, it was unremarkable. It was the ideal place to begin. If this was too boring for my on my boring map, it's going to be boring for you. And then there would be nothing, you know, <laughs> but there is something. I think the beauty of this book is that it hits on this. It's a concept. A lot of people say it's even got a name. If only I lived somewhere else, then my life would be different. And so you hit on this concept that a lot of people feel. So it wasn't boring. And in November, 
you found these holes in the ground. I don't even know how to pronounce them. Dean holes. Tell us about those. So generally, this map was not adventurous at all. It was very ordinary. I had a fascinating and very interesting time, which I guess we'll talk about, but it wasn't really an adventure. The exception, I suppose, was this example of Dean Holes. So I went around a grid square one day, and what I would do each week would be to try and explore in as much detail as possible and to see everything, to take notes of whatever I saw that I could learn about later, to take photographs, to slow down and be observant. So I went around this square, around this wood, uh, and I came home and I was writing it all up and I was sort of Googling away what I'd been seeing. And I found that apparently in this wood was something called a Dina hole, which I'd never heard of. So I Googled it and I realized there was one in the wood and that meant I had to go back. Now, what a Dean hole is, is sort of 800, 1,000 years ago in Britain, farmers needed fertilizer for their soil, for their land. But this was before fertilizer had been invented. So they'd use generally manured from the animals but also you can top it up with lime and chalk and lime that helps fertilize so uh, the landscape was quite lime based here so chalk they didn't want to just dig up a quarry because that's a waste of valuable farming land and equally if you dig a big pit it'll just fill up with leaves so what they would do is to dig a vertical shaft quite a narrow vertical tunnel down under the ground and then with their very basic tools just carve out from the rock Lime. Essentially, it's a, a small little mine underground for chalk. Mm. I'd never even heard of these things before. And it turned out there was one in a wood really close to my home. And to get to it, I had to get my climbing rope out and I had to get my headlamp on and I tied a rope onto a tree and I lowered myself down into this cave under the ground. And I was like, wow, this is exciting. This is adventure. And it's a few miles from my front door, something that I literally never knew existed. And importantly, I didn't even know it existed, even after having carefully gone all around this grid square and thinking I'd seen everything that was there. So it's just a reminder that you can't possibly see everything, even on a tiny area. And actually, the more you look, the more you notice, the more you slow down, the more you pay attention, the more you start to see. So it is interesting because that was the one big outlier in this book. To your point, there really wasn't anything else like that. The rest of it is gardens and birds and pigs and cows and cities and shops and cafes and the typical things that you would think if you're exploring your nearby surroundings. But it was cool that that happened at the beginning, I think, because it was an exciting thing and it puts in your mind, what else might I find? But to your point, the rest of the book was fairly ordinary in terms of the things that you found and yet still very fulfilling you say the paradise paradox, that's what the name of this situation is, where you have this tendency to believe that if we move somewhere else, it will solve all your problems. So I, I love the concept is something that a lot of people would consider and deal with. They don't like where they live. It's not great for adventure. They get kind of bored. They're doing the dishes every day. And what can we do about it? So off you go. So it starts off in November and then you, you chronicle, you've got this four months of wet <laughs> yeah. and cold rainy old england with hardly any snow the snow makes a difference that's how i feel but a lot of times if there's no snow it just feels very dark and damp and kind of depressing <laughs> but off you go and you make it you make it till the spring comes in the january chapter you start talking quite a bit about silence and being alone it's an interesting concept you know everyone's talking about loneliness but there is a big difference between loneliness and solitude. What would you say the main difference is? 
I think um, that those two things have been a common factor for a lot of my big adventures around the world. And solitude is the lovely feeling that I am enough and this moment is enough and this place is enough and I feel it's complete and it's great. And loneliness, can be, you can be in exactly the same place, but just in a different frame of mind. And then you, of course, feel the, the crushing sadness of being alone. And that's a horrible feeling. So... Yeah, I was trying. It's it's obviously the solitude's the thing that you want. But my normal life, you know, I'm at, when I'm at home, I'm just a dad, a husband. I'm busy cooking food for my wife and cleaning up for my kids and shouting at everybody, just sort of normal, happy family stuff. And it kind of drives me crazy sometimes. I love them, but they kind of drive me nuts, which is probably true, I imagine, of pretty much every family. So sometimes it was so nice just to get to a wood and just sit on a log and just think, huh and do absolutely nothing. And the other factor in my life, of course, like all of us, is I've got 8,000 emails to reply to and everyone's shouting at me for not answering emails. And it was very nice sometimes to just sit in a wood and just ignore emails for a while. So um, yeah, tr the, the search for some stillness and some peace and some wildness within the busyness of normal semi-urban life, that was a nice aspect of this book for me. Mm-hmm. And one of the parts that I was not expecting is when you talked about finding someone to adventure with that's close to home. I thought that was an interesting piece. I mean, here you are. I mean, you're famous. I don't know any other National Geographic Explorers of the Year. And I don't know anybody else who's won this Ness Award. And you've got 16 books and you've got these videos out and documentaries. And so not knowing your situation, I would think, well, there you probably have a thousand friends. <laughs> that are like let's go you know let's go whatever let's go explore that square or this square but what you say is you've had a really hard time finding other people who will do this with you you're not seeing anybody else except for dog walkers talk to us about that piece i mean it, it is a tricky thing it's like you're living in your home with your family this is very ordinary and yet you have these big dreams of adventure and that maybe could lead you to feel kind of lonely um, yeah, I, so I've got plenty of friends in life, some normal good friends. I think the nature of modern society is that we're often separated from our friends in the way that we wouldn't have been 100 or 200 years ago. So, for example, a lot of my best friends are from when I was at uh, school or at university, and they're all scattered all over the place, as am I. So when we meet up, it's great. and It's really nice to see them. Uh, I've also got plenty of adventuring friends, you know, so if I wanted to say, cycle to china tomorrow i could find 10 people who would come with yeah. me and that's fantastic so i've got big adventure type friends and then in the little area where i live you know if i'm taking the kids to school then there's nice people i chat to on a daily basis and, and you know usual stuff about basically talk about the weather and your children and sport essentially that covers pretty much all of my conversations and they're nice people but what i don't have is close to home is an overlap of those categories. So I don't have some deep soulmates near to home with whom I would go and do adventure. And I think a, a large part of that is just due to the sort of area where I live. You know, I think if you live in, say, a little village in the mountains, there's going to be people who like being in a little village in the mountains. If you live in a city, there's going to be people who like being in a city and going to a cafe and stuff. But I, I think I'm a sort of person who would like to be living in a little village in the mountains, but actually I'm living in an area where no one else around me wants to live in a village in a mountain. So no one, no one around me wants to go and walk through the woods on a rainy day and look at birds or ride their bike and sleep on hills. It's just not the 
culture of people around where I am. And one of the things I was trying to do with writing this book is not specific to my local area, but just general to readers. It's just it was just to try and get more people to go a little bit outside and off the beaten track more often because it amazed me how often I'd been really interesting little places but never see anybody no one was out there at all I mean the occasional farmer in their tractor or maybe the occasional person walking their dog who was sort of checking their emails on their phone as they did their dog walk but I pretty much I felt like I was the only person out there and that then is when you you get the veering between sometimes you feel oh this is solitude and sometimes you think oh man it's a bit lonely mm. I'd love it if there were a few other people who think this is a great idea to come and do I hope it sweeps through the globe and people are doing it with just their neighbor or a friend, a local friend that they have. That's why actually I started 1000 hours outside because we spent two years doing sort of similar, not map by map and square by square, but going to the local parks and the local trails. We live in Michigan where we live. It's flat. It's boring. There's nothing spectacular, but we take our kids and trek through these little half mile hikes or one mile hike here and, the only people we ever saw, Alistair, were grandparents. Um, and they looked good. You know, they had cool pants and hiking sticks. <laughs> and they were walking together. No kids. Never saw another kid. And so that was a little bit of my own impetus. It's interesting. We think, where, where where are they all? Where are all the kids? Where are all the people? It'd be interesting to know from your, all your listeners, as your community's grown, how many people are doing 1,000 hours outside stuff pretty much on their own or whether it's leading to neighbors and villages and elementary schools start, starting to team up and friendships growing from the mm -hmm. from the individual family units i hope so yes i hope so i think there's at least a little bit of that so this is an interesting thing invite someone along that's what that made me think like you know if you find something cool if you're trying to adventure close to home you can make a little group out of it eating better is easy with factors delicious ready to eat meals every fresh Never Frozen Meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So get started today and get after your goals. Some of the things we love about Factor are their two-minute meals. You can fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. Our kids love the pancakes, smoothies, and more. And there's a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, including midday bites. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And remember to sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com/outside50 and use code outside50 to get 50% off. That's code outside50 at factormeals.com slash outside50 to get 50% off. Everyone wants to start their year off on the right foot. And for me, that means making sure I'm eating well and have enough energy to do everything I want to do. But I'm not going to run to the butcher every day to get a fresh cut of quality meat. That's why Good Chop is such a lifesaver for our family. Good Chop offers fully customizable boxes of high quality meat and seafood delivered to your door on your schedule. Their products are vacuum sealed and frozen at peak freshness, so you can stock your freezer and cook when you want. 
We had a somewhat last minute get together recently and it was so incredibly convenient to just head to the freezer and pull out a couple bags of Good Chops hamburger patties to whip up some burgers quickly. They were so delicious. Besides being delicious, it's important to know it won't cost you a fortune either. Good Chops price per meal starts at just $3.74. Go to goodchop.com slash outside120 and use code outside120 to get $120 off across your first four boxes. That's code outside120 at goodchop.com slash outside120 for $120 off. Goodchop.com slash outside120 code outside 120. My favorite sentence in the book, Alistair. Are you ready for it? I'm ready for it. Favorite. The favorite sentence of the whole book. Okay. I scratched my back. <laughs> I just, I thought it was so, it, this was humorous to me because it, it the, this versus that, I mean, the, I'm rowing across an ocean. You know, I've got, I mean, <laughs> What the entire Atlantic Ocean you rode across in a boat, and you and you write these books. You've got grand adventures. You've got micro adventures. You know you're doing these things that you know the average person has not done. Wouldn't even consider doing biking across the entire world. I mean, what what? And then in this book, I scratched my back. <laughs> it's like one extreme to the other. So I just I found it so humorous. But this is what you're talking about. I mean, part of this was just finding solitude and you did these sit spots and you did it a couple of times in the book where you would just sit somewhere on a log, put your timer on for an hour, not journal, no notebooks, and you sat there. Tell us about what that experience teaches you. Yeah, I think if of all the things you talk about today, I would love for people to try that. Although I would say it's essentially impossible to do uh, certainly with young kids in tow. So this is, a, I think you could, but I suppose you could do it with two adults, although I would then feel so embarrassed and self-conscious and start giggling probably. So maybe it's just something to do by yourself if you can, is to just, is to just, and you, I mean, I would go to the woods to do it, but you could do it on a park bench. You could do it in your garden, your, so your backyard, you could do it anywhere you wanted to. But the essence is that occasionally I would think, I'm too busy to be doing this today. I've got stuff to do. I've got emails to send. Ah, and I'd get really stressed and I'd go out to the woods. Like, right, I'll go to these stupid woods then. And then when I get to the woods, I think, what am I doing? The thing I enjoy most of all is being out in these woods. Who cares about sending a few emails? Just slow down. And essentially the, the notion is if you think you're too busy to spend 20 minutes in the woods, that's ridiculous. And you therefore probably need to spend an hour in the woods. Mm. So what I would do then is I'd sit on a log. And now I would, if I sat on a log listening to music, I'd be very happy. If I sat on a log reading a book, that'd be like my idea of heaven. Even you give me a pen and paper, I could be taking notes. That would be useful. I wouldn't be wasting time. But to sit on a log in a wood with nothing feels difficult. So I would set the timer on my phone. I'd put it on airplane mode so I'd get no distractions. I'd set the timer for an hour and then I would throw the phone, <laughs> throw the phone to where I couldn't reach it or see it because then there's no, then you can't start thinking, well, just check Instagram. Ah, and then you just sit. And it was fascinating to experience what went through my head in that time. I mean, in about within about two minutes, I was so bored thinking, oh, this is stupid. And then I'd have 
50 fantastic ideas for brilliant novels and then I'd forget them all and then I'd think of all the jobs I need to do at home and then I'd think oh I need a pee and then I'd get itchy and scratch my back and all these thoughts racing around and it's just suddenly realized the endless chaos that's going on inside my head but gradually then you start to think oh there's a butterfly that I hadn't seen before and oh look the leaves are starting to be more green than they were a few weeks ago the last time I paid attention and slow down and start to see wow there is so much around here and you can watch a little ant walk around and really watch it and really pay attention and then I'd start thinking surely my phone is broken an hour must have gone by now it's an eternity and it would go on but eventually when the phone goes beep 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 what surprised me each time was not a sense of yes relief I can escape from this stupid idea each time I felt disappointed like oh that's a shame that that's over and The realisation that it would be so much easier to do a second hour or a third hour once you start to just slow down into that is a really, really useful thing to try. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to start with an hour. We've done it with our kids a few times. They think it's really silly, but they also are intrigued by it. I can tell. We do 10 minutes. They'll be like, we do it actually in December leading into the holidays. We try and do two days of it. And that's it. The whole year, 10 minutes. They're like, oh, we do in sit spot again. But then they're also kind of into it. Is that inside or outside you do it? We do it outside, just right up the road. There's a little pine forest. So we would sit there and not talk. The kids are pretty young. We started doing it like five, four or five. The littlest one was. So they laugh about it. It's like they, they're interested, but not interested. And it's something that they definitely remember. I think because it's so different. We do a lot of outdoor things. They don't talk about all the things too much, but they definitely talk about the sit spot. It's probably, I imagine, actually quite an um, emotional and bonding experience once you can get beyond the silly giggling stuff it's Mm -hmm. it's quite an emotional thing just to be present with somebody isn't it yeah yeah and to get into that spot where you're really noticing it's very powerful i loved that part of the book you talked about it quite a bit i scratched my back (laughs) (laughs) it's so different than these other books and i love that i love the eclectic nature of what you write and what you do and how you try different things. And you write about adventures that have inspired you. You write about your own adventures. You write about things that can inspire others. Like I thought the doorstep mile concept of just getting over that doorstep is so huge. You're really trying, I think, to have a touch point with a lot of different types of people. And it's really powerful. I had a whole section here about the food. I liked this. <laughs> you didn't include it all the time, but you included it some of the times. <laughs> Let's talk about what you ate. What was the typical schedule did you try and go the same day every week did you just go when you could what was and how long would you stay so the the rough sort of schedule was be that i would take my children to school drop them off and then as every parent knows the clock starts ticking (laughs) you've got six hours of freedom sprint (laughs) away from the school to begin your own life for six hours so yeah generally i'd take the kids there and then i would I'd um on my so I'd have to work out where I was going to go, which I do. I did. I chose the grid square using a random number generator, and the reason I did that is because otherwise, if I look at a map, my temptation would be to go to the woods or to the pretty places. But I wanted this. I wanted to experience everywhere, not just my preconceived idea. So I'd go to the grid square I'd been given for the day, and then I would walk around, occasionally cycle, but often walk around, and I'd take a camera with me. Um, actually camera not a phone a camera and I'd have it in my hand and I did this to make myself slow down and to try and 
think in my head that every subject is worthy of taking a photo if you can just find an interesting angle on it. So getting into that mindset that everything is interesting. And then I would try and explore everything within that grid square, every footpath, every street, every bit of town, every woodland, see everything and write notes about it all, which then I would look, I would Google when I got back home. I resisted doing any Googling when I was in the trip because I wanted to just remain in the moment. And I would generally spend between about two and four hours out doing this. And then I'd come home and start to type up all of my notes and start Googling on all the random stuff that I'd been learn learning. And that, that was an aspect of this experience that I hadn't anticipated at all. So I imagined that it would be an interesting project because I'd see stuff out in the countryside and I'd learn about it. What I hadn't factored in was that I'd take all these notes and when I come home, then I'd spend at least as much time reading Wikipedia and going down crazy internet rabbit holes about the most extraordinary random subjects, some of which are just sort of time-wasting distractions. Some of them end up changing your life, but you don't really know until you explore those curiosities. So there was a lot of internet exploring as well. So you go during the day, your kids are at school. So a lot of times you would bring a lunch. <laughs> Talk to us about what you would bring. I mean, beetroot soup. This is incredible. Tomato soup with chickpeas. And I mean, you're eating good in your thermos. Also, you'd make your own bread. So, so uh, this, what, I, what I really enjoy about uh, talking to you is that you, you talk about things from a different angle that I, that I would naturally expect. So I hadn't really, you know, I hadn't really considered the food side. But so... The, the food would depend on where I was going on the map. Sometimes the, the map would send me to a town and then I'd just, that'd be an excuse to go to a cafe or to have a coffee or something, or, or maybe a cheeky beer in the summertime. Uh, the wind, the cold winter months though, it's freezing. So sometimes I would take my camping stove, got a little camping stove and I would make coffee out on the thing. And the, the two reasons that one, of course, having a cup of coffee is nice and it would warm me up. But more importantly, it was yet another device to make me slow down, yeah. put the water on, light the fire, make the coffee. That's 20 minutes when I have to just sit here and pay attention to where I am and enjoy that. Other times, of course, you could just put a coffee in a thermos flask and then you've just got the, the drink when you're out there. Occasionally, if I, was th if I was going and maybe it'd be longer or over lunchtime, I'd take a bit of food. And yeah, I love one of my, so this is not a topic I've discussed on podcasts. I love making homemade soup. It is one of the great joys of life. And actually, I think I had written quite a bit about soup making that then got edited out of the book. But essentially, what I like to do is in the supermarket, you know, they have a little section in the supermarket of all the stuff that they're about to throw away because it's out of date, so old, kind of tired looking vegetables. So what I like to do is just buy a bunch of those random vegetables. You put a bit of olive oil, salt, pepper on, put them in the oven to roast, and then any vegetable becomes delicious once it's roasted. And you then um, add some hot water to it, uh, blitz it up in a blender, and you've got really insanely healthy vegetable soup. I then tip in a tin of... Um, chickpeas or lentils or something to add a bit of protein and bulk and then boom you've made a delicious healthy meal that costs almost nothing it's really healthy and it's quite nice to have when you're out in nature yeah soup making <laughs> wow okay so this could be like a whole different book too it's what yeah. does an adventurer eat yeah what i like about that approach to soup is that it's different every time because it kind of depends what ingredients that they're they're about to chuck out and yeah beetroot i don't 
I would never normally buy a beetroot. It's not a vegetable that really interests me, but hey, there's a cheap beetroot. I'll buy it, roast it, and it makes this incredible red, beautiful looking soup. So yeah, it was a it was a fantastic soup, the beetroot soup. <laughs> well, and you said it was hot and colorful and the perfect antidote to the cold days monochrome weather, which I think is a big deal. That is actually what I struggle with in the winter more than the cold is the lack of color. That's what starts to get to me by the time it's February. There's no color. And the rest of the year is filled with vibrant colors. You've got this, the flowers, you've got the fall colors, the mums, the pumpkins, the leaves change. And then you hit this four month stretch often where it's just brown and white. You've got the bare bark of the tree and you've got snow and that's it. And so I love that you wrote that. So you, you're sitting on the log, you're drinking your soup, <laughs> you throw in a glug of chili sauce, and then you also have recipes in here for your favorite homemade bread. <laughs> yeah, so I, I did have to include, so I, like homemade bread's the sort of thing that when people make homemade bread on Instagram, I just want to hate them because they're just living such smug, perfect lives. But I, the reason I put those couple of recipes in there is because it's actually ridiculously easy to make bread it's i mean it sounds so stupid but it's so easy and it tastes so good and yeah. people are so impressed uh, but it's only what flour salt water and a bit of yeast mix it up shove it in a ridiculously hot oven and you've made this magical thing which these days you either buy it in the supermarket which is processed and horrific or you buy it in some sort of farmer's market for about twenty dollars and you can just make this thing and then you serve it to your friends. They're like, wow, you made this. Like you're some sort of genius. It's so easy. So yeah, that's, I really love making my own bread. It's great. Yeah. So you have two links in this book. Yeah. You'll have to grab it for your, or some of your favorite recipes. You also were wearing a scarf that you had knitted. <laughs> you're making me sound like some sort of, um, yeah, I'm impressed. I'm liking this new version of myself that's being portrayed here. Yeah. So during lockdown in the pandemic, I've got a young daughter and she decided that she quite liked to learn to knit. So I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to learn with you. So we both learned how to knit from a YouTube video. And again, knitting so easy. You just do the little wiggly thing a bunch of times and then you keep doing it long enough and eventually you've got this scarf and it's just fantastic. I can't do anything more complicated than go in a straight line and make a <laughs> scarf. But this scarf that I've made is really long. It's about, it's about as long as I am. And I, it just brings me... Well, it's warm, but it just brings me pride every time I put it on. It's so satisfying to have made my own scarf. So, yeah, I highly recommend all adventurous people should make their own scarf. What color is it? Well, it, I bought a giant ball of wool that was a um, blue, but a dark blue that changed to light blue as the wool went on. Do you know what I mean? So oh, it's yeah. a dark blue fading to light blue scarf. Oh, that's so cool. I'll send you a picture. I want to see it. This book is filled with your pictures too. My favorite one was the one, it is. it was really cool that you took your good camera, you could tell. This is my favorite one. The chapter's called Stillness and it's got your bike. <laughs> I mean, this just looks like the winter, a dull and drab and- We're completely stuck in the mud, standing upright on its own, it's so muddy. Just fantastic photos. Yeah, I definitely want to see a picture of the scarf. When the skies open up while others seek shelter, I embrace the rain. Heading to my favorite hike, the raindrops are like a soothing melody, and my vessies ensure each step is dry and comfortable, turning a simple outing into a rather delightful experience. 
Whenever my kids and I are stepping into a great outdoors adventure, I love wearing Vessi's Stormburst boots to capture the beauty of springtime landscapes. Their robust style is perfect for our nature excursions, adding a little dash of elegance to our outdoor explorations. This spring, transform how you view wet weather with Vessi. Their Dymatex technology makes their shoes not just waterproof, but a stylish barrier against rain and puddles. Whether it's a sudden downpour or a planned seaside walk, Vessi shoes ensure your feet stay dry and comfortable. Embrace the essence of spring with Vessi. From chic city walks to adventurous treks, find the perfect pair for your lifestyle at Vessi.com outside and enjoy an automatic 15% off your first order upon checkout. That's V-E-S-S-I dot com slash outside for 15% off your first order. I have been looking for simple ways to form healthy habits and get the nutrients my body needs when my immune system feels unsupported. And that's why I decided to give AG1 a try. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics and more, but it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. And it makes me feel nourished and ready to face the day. As a parent, longevity is on my mind more than ever before. I want to make sure I'm taking really good care of myself so I can continue to show up for the moments that matter with my kids. Every day, AG1 helps me build long-term health with daily nutrients that support brain, gut, and immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day, and I'm setting myself up for the long run. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash 1000. That's drinkag1.com slash 1000. Check it out. Back to the food. It is one more. <laughs> well, here's why. Here's why it interested me. Because the other books have it too. When you're talking about the boy who biked the world. And if people haven't listened to these other episodes, they've got to go back and listen. You have these whole series for kids. And what I've seen different groups of people do is they will have a party based off of your books. And they'll have the different places that you've gone and little stations and crafts and things to do. And then they would serve these banana sandwiches because that was a staple of what you ate on these trips. And I thought it was neat, though, to see in this different way that you ate different things. But it's not always healthy. You did say one of your favorite things to do about being a cyclist is to slump on the pavement and have your Coke cheese and onion crisps and a pack of some sort of cakes, which I've never heard of. So I wanted (laughs) to ask what those are. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah so normally this uh, normally on this throughout this book it was a very it was a non-exercise intensive trip you know I'd be just mooching around one kilometer but in the middle of the book I find myself one summer more one summer afternoon with a whole afternoon of freedom which is every parent's dream thing isn't it suddenly the house is empty and you're on your own like whoa amazing so I decided to try and cycle through every grid square I'd already been to in the year just to link them up so this was another thing that I enjoy doing which is going for a bike ride and riding really far and really fast like a sporting activity and that's the that's this chapter and so yeah I get really hot and tired and when you just have to go into a store and just buy whatever 
junk food they've got and shove it in your face. I love that. So, yeah, um, the cake is, I don't really know how to describe it. You know, people don't even really eat them in England. They're sort of only funny old people eat them, but there's some sort of flaky pastry with raisins and sugar in them. Yeah, they're not very mainstream. How do you pronounce it? Eccles. It's the town, it's a little town in the north of England where they're made. Eccles cake. <laughs> this is super interesting. I love that whole part of it. There was one sentence where you said, I sat on a bench by the lake to eat my packed lunch. And I was like, well, what was it? <laughs> it didn't say. Oh, yes. <laughs> well, cool. oh, that's cool funny. It's, uh, it's so interesting talking to people. Because you write, when you write a book, you just write it on your own mm-hmm. and you send it out into the world. And it's interesting when different people connect to different aspects of it. So, yeah, okay, next book, Ginny, there'll be more detail about my eating. <laughs> It's great. It was really neat in comparison to the other books. That's what I loved. I I liked reading it with the background of the other books. It would be great to read on its own, but it gave it a different sort of depth having read a lot of your other books. So I really liked that. There was a lot of connections to make between previous books in this one and really loved that. Okay. So one of the things that you found out is that through this journey, you love April. Mm. It was the first time you realized that you liked April. Previously, I would have ranked it as a cold and blustery month far down my list, but this year changed my mind. That's actually a really big deal. Tell us what happened. I think it's a really good exercise for anyone to do is to write down your favorite months in order. Quite a fun thing to do and actually be quite a fun thing to do as a family, wouldn't it? See what which ones score higher and lower. And I presume for generally summer would be near the top maybe someone might put december near the top if they like christmas or whenever their birthday is but generally it's going to be summer near the top i would think and this whole book time and again was just about me paying attention to stuff that i've never noticed in 40 years of living in this country which is that and it was you know i started the book in november just by coincidence which then meant that the first couple of months were gray wet miserable quite depressing and what was the reward for that, for going out every week in the mud and the rain, the reward is that when spring comes, you have earned it. You have deserved this reward. You are ready for it. And boy, are you going to appreciate it and be grateful for it. When the trees start to come green again and the birds start to sing and the birds start to return from Africa from their migrations, you're going to be grateful. And the month that I realized filled me with joy and gratitude was April. And I would have always assumed it was probably May or June. But actually, where I live in England, at my line of latitude, it's April when suddenly, boom, life comes back and it's beautiful. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of April. and I didn't realize that before. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite month? Probably August. Ah. But I, I have grown to really love the spring months, too, where I didn't before. So it was definitely something that I did not enjoy. It's muddy real muddy especially if you got little kids is real muddy and it's unpredictable so it's similar very similar to the weather where you're at it doesn't really actually get predictably warm until the end of may so march is annoying and april (laughs) can tend to be annoying but when you are i think in that rhythm of getting outside on a regular basis it's very exciting so i would probably say august and then i would pick one of those spring months probably april and then one that's in December, J- January, the middle of winter because of all the fun snow things and we freeze things. So the more you're outside, it, it definitely changes your perspective, I think, on the different months of the things that are fun and exciting and are just different. 
one aspect I came to really appreciate was we t- we talk about the seasons, so the four seasons. We talk about the twelve months, but actually nature is on the move all the time and on a more microscopic level. And I learned one of my endless bits of reading random stuff on the internet. I learned about an old Japanese tradition of micro seasons, which is where they've broken the year down into, I think it's 72 micro seasons. So it's roughly every five days. And they've got beautiful poetic names like the season when the bluebells first start to glimmer or the season when the uh, swallow first arrives and tiny little micro seasons. And that was a really good reminder for me to really notice that what I see out of my window today will be different in a week. And once you start to notice that and appreciate that and choose to find that joyful, then it's it's brilliant. So I love the micro seasons idea. Mm -hmm. And I love when they overlap. There's always a bit of overlap. So this last one, we've got pumpkins that are ready to be harvested, but the flowers are still blooming. And there's a week or two where you can take those flowers and you can put them in your pumpkin and use a pumpkin as like a cool mm-hmm. vase. And it just lasts for a week or two. There's that overlap. And there's always that a little bit of snow and the flowers are peeking through. And you talk about that in this book. It is actually one of my favorite parts of life is that overlap of seasons. You say they move gradually, gradually, gradually. And then all of a sudden they change. All of a sudden it's suddenly. That's was something that I loved. I love noticing that seasons move in two ways, gradually and then suddenly. No change, no change, no change. And then one morning, this, the new season is well on its way, overlapping the previous one in its eagerness to get going. This is such a deep book because it really highlights the beautiful simplicity of our nearby nature. And that was the phrase that you used, the nearby nature. And so it's one of those books that is a great one to have in your life because it reminds you to go find the things that are close by. And let's end with sort of where you ended up here. You did this for an entire year. And you say you shifted. You shifted from pursuing adventures of a lifetime towards a lifetime of just trying to live a little more adventurously every day. New habits. This is pretty powerful stuff. So you did this a while ago. Has it changed any of your day-to-day once you are done? Um, Yes, it has helped me accept and appreciate and enjoy where I live much more than before. I still happily move to a log cabin in Montana tomorrow, but until tomorrow, yeah, it's really made me appreciate that. It's also taught me so much. I like I just learned so much random stuff. That book is half the length of the um, first draft, and it, I think you know I think it's already too long, but it's half the length of what I originally wrote. Wow. Just learning endless random stuff and it got me interested in learning in a way that I never managed when I was at high school or university. I did a zoology degree at university. I should know quite a lot about nature and things. I knew nothing until I started wandering around my local park and I should give a shout out on that to the app Seek which is um, an app on your phone that um, you point at plants or insects or whatever you want and it tells you the name of it and I found that an incredible learning tool not just to learn the names but because once you learn the name of something you then notice it more often and then you notice when it's not there and the seasons have changed and when you notice it and know its name you start to care about it and want to protect it so yeah I'd, I'd say the Seek app and then Merlin that listens to birds and tells you the name of the bird song you're hearing those two things did wonders for my education. I loved it. 
local, a search for nearby nature and wildness, you say, this is a book about going nowhere much and doing not a lot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it has a powerful message that nature is nearby and you can find adventure where you live, even if you don't love where you live. And this book, I am so blown away that it was twice as long because when I got this one and I was looking, I, you know, I flip it open and this is cool because you wrote a note to me in here and I love that. And also 1000 Hours Outside is mentioned twice and you have put these little sticky notes. <laughs> so that's cool. People can get this one and search for that. But I immediately noticed this is small writing. It's too small. It's, too it's small. not too small. It I'm not is, saying oh. it's too small. I'm just saying you packed a lot yeah. into a book about doing nothing going nowhere that <laughs> yeah. a lot happened and it My, could have yeah. been twice as long so that's fascinating it's very encouraging to know that just around you and alistair we have where we live i don't know if this is where like where you live if it's similar but you tend to sort of go certain directions so we tend to go to town this is where the church is or this is where the activities are this is sort of where everyone congregates and we go that way you know 10 miles but we don't ever go the other way so occasionally we have to go the other way and you think oh well this is a, this is closer to my house than that so it's just one of those books that's really inspiring to think of your life differently and you've always talked about slide it in slide it in from your nine to your five to nine your nine to five you slide it in slide it in in the weekend try these different things i'm sure that you don't love this question but i want to ask it as our last question because last year we talked i think near the end of the year and I was actually really excited about this book. You told me you're working on a single map. You told me that you're working on against the odds. This is a book of people who failed. So I can't wait to read that one. That's the one that's similar to The Great Adventures. So what's next? What's next? I actually, for once, have no idea. So we're talking just before Christmas. The book comes out just after Christmas, really. So I'm in that weird in-between zone of having finished it. Oh, I didn't know it hadn't come out yet. But you can pre it, it, it's available for pre-order so you can you can order it on amazon but you can't you can only you've oh. read the book Ginny. you're a lucky privilege oh, wow i didn't realize because i yeah. was going to ask you what have been people's responses to it so far but people haven't read it yet it's a 2024 yeah. book so your 2023 yeah. book is against the odds this is your 2024 book so it's not a question i should be asking you you're just now sending this one into the world oh how cool what a phenomenal book for 2024 I love it. Oh, thank you. I'm glad you like it because I worried that it was too British and it wouldn't translate because there's a lot about Britain in there, but you think it translated okay across the pond? Yeah, the apple cake. I mean, that was the, yeah. there was a few things that I didn't totally know what they were, but I the premise of it is finding adventure near you. And I think that's what you did so well. You showcased it in your own life and then other people can grasp on and take that concept and slide it into their life and i think i'm really excited then to see what 2024 brings and the adventures that people will tell you that they took inspired off this book that are local near them that they didn't even realize how cool so this is the 2024 so this will be out when people hear the podcast so they can go get it local fantastic so there's there's two, two a couple of other things i can that i'd like to add yes um what one is I, i've had this similar sort of conversation with lots of people who said talk about the map and the book and blah blah and then the feet and then the response is yeah but where i live is really boring so for example <laughs> I, um i was talking to someone and they said yeah but i live it or no they didn't say i live they said what if you live i guess they were trying to think of the most boring place they said could and they said yeah you've done all this but what if you lived in the middle of kansas that's what they said and my response was 
I would love to go and spend a bit of time exploring the middle of Kansas. And the key thing is to try, you know, when you go to a foreign country and suddenly everything is crazy and fascinating. I mean, literally everything is fascinating. Is to try and take that foreigner's curiosity to your own backyard. So imagine if I got dumped in Kansas, I'd be like, wow, Kansas is just so interesting in a way that someone who lived there might think it's a bit boring. So it's trying to take that traveler's curiosity to where you live. And then for, in terms of the actually getting a map, you know, the um, the map that Americans want is a, they're called the Topo series. And you can get them from the US Gov website. You can download the free map of where you live as a PDF. I mean, of course you can just get your Google maps and rummage around it. But if you go to, if you type in US Gov Topo, into the internet you'll find a website where you can go to the place you live and download a map of your little neighborhood and it's also the american ones are also divided into little grid squares as are the oh. british ordnance survey maps oh okay so everyone can do this in 2024 what an amazing adventure to have with your family to do the random number i love it i love it alistair absolutely love it huge congrats on both books against the odds which we'll talk about hopefully very soon i cannot wait to read that one that one came out in 2023. You can get it from Blackwell's books. And I'll make sure I put the link if people want to get that. Take a little bit of shipping if you're not near you, if like you're in the States. And local 2024, a search for nearby nature and wildness. Fantastic. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast for parents who worry. Wait, that's everybody. Yeah, these last few years have felt like one long anxiety attack for so many. Why do you think parents are always surprised that a podcast about anxiety relates to them, even if no one in their house has an anxiety disorder? Well, worry is human. Everyone does it. And anxiety shows up when we face uncertainty. All the parenting tips you've taught me have been essential. I love to break it down into skills we need to manage worry in our families. We've covered so many topics, depression, burnout, meltdowns, perfectionism. Don't forget scary mothers-in-law. Right, but of course that's not my mother-in-law. Because that's my mother. And a listener. As a psychotherapist, I like to teach parents and kids how to respond to everyday moments in healthy ways. Managing anxiety really can be taught. It really can. And I'll even tell you what to say. We talk about serious stuff, but without being too serious. Anxiety wants everything serious. Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff.